BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, I'm sad today. Oh, Molly, why are you sad? Because we're talking about pain. Yeah, it's kind of a downer. I'll try and put a Band-Aid on it. Well, put a Band-Aid on it uh, knowing that we are going to learn things about Pain differences among men and women. That's interesting, Molly. It is interesting, but it was sad to research. Yeah. And the, the whole reason we started researching pain is because we had an email from a listener, which we love, and it asked us whether men and women feel pain any differently. And she cited childbirth. That's sort of what we think of as like an epitome of painful experiences. So some women say it's very pleasurable. I don't know if I trust them. Yeah, even if there's some cultural idea that men just keep a stiff upper lip, whereas girls are just going to boohoo over a skint knee, our ultimate comeback is <laughs> you're not pushing a baby out anytime during your life. Yeah. So is childbirth in some way this, is it really like the epitome of pain? If we survive it, can we survive anything? And I did find one really interesting study that suggests that, yes, childbirth can increase your pain tolerance. Yeah, they compared uh, the pain threshold among women who had had children and women who hadn't had children. And they did indeed find that uh, Paris woman who had uh, experienced childbirth had a higher pain threshold than the other women. So now that I think that's really interesting because the rest of the studies we're going to talk about didn't differentiate, as far as I know, between women who had given birth and women who hadn't. Because this one study we found suggests that, yes, if you give birth, then nothing will compare to that pain. And obviously, all pains are minimized as a result. But every other study we're going to cite is going to be pretty depressing because it's going to suggest that women feel pain more intensely and more often than men. And this is a pretty recent finding. And the way that these studies and the articles reporting on them were phrased, it seemed like people were very hesitant to say, Yes, there are differences between the way men and women feel pain and women 
on the whole, report feeling more pain than men because it does seem like a very antiquated knee-jerk reaction that implies that women are the weaker sex. Mm -hmm. But as in a lot of these podcasts, Molly, that we do when we compare different things between the genders, it's not so much an argument of better or worse, but simply different. It's different, and it's important because obviously if you need a painkiller... You want something that will work for you and knowing that men and women not only feel pain differently, but more intensely for some things than for others means that you can really tailor a treatment to fit either gender better. So let's walk through just a couple of these um, certain conditions that really affect women more than men. And this comes from uh, the pain consortium from the National Institutes of Health. And the number one issue that really affects women nine times more than men is fibromyalgia. Right, which is basically just pain. You have chronic widespread pain all over the body, tenderness, soreness, flu-like aches, fatigue, headaches, stiffness. Um, and they don't know a lot about it, but mm-hmm. they have some evidence that maybe um, in the brain, just the areas related to pain perception work much differently than people who suffer from fibromyalgia. And then we have migraines. This is something that you and I have podcasted before because one in five women experience migraines, whereas only one in 17 men experience them. And doctors think that it might have something to do with shifts in hormone levels because migraines for women often occur around ovulation, menstruation, and during pregnancy. Another one is osteoarthritis. Women report 40% more osteoarthritic pain and severe pain and also heart disease. Women in their premenopausal years experience chest pain more often than men. But there is... One important difference, and we'll come back to this a little more later on, but when it comes to long-term extreme pain, specifically things like bone cancer, there is no gender difference between the amount of pain reported. Men and women feel it exactly the pain, exactly the same way. It seems like it's a lot more to do with uh, acute pain and um, more low-level chronic pain. Mm-hmm, as opposed to long-standing extreme pain. Okay. So we we brought up the difference that girls, you know, cry when they get a skin knee, whereas men are expected to keep a stiff upper lip. So one of the first things that these researchers did when they wanted to figure out if men and women do feel pain differently is to find out if it's all just social motivation. Yeah, basically, do, do men want to appear more macho by n- reporting less pain than is actually going on? So what they did was they gave women more money to participate in a pain study than they gave men. And first of all, I have to say that every single pain study pretty much is based on sticking your hand in in ice water. So maybe just women are smart enough not to do this study. Yeah, they wanted to see how long women or men and women would hold their hand in a bucket of swirling ice water. And some people were offered a dollar to keep their hand in. I mean, this water is near freezing uh, to keep their hand in there for five minutes. And some were given offered $20. Yeah. So even the women who had the motivation of getting more money, the longer they kept their hand in, just gave up. Whereas men, you know, they thought men who, you know, it wasn't about society, it was just about money, would not really care as much. Men who were offered more money did even better. So it suggests, you know, it kind of uh, disprove this whole social motivation theory because they were at starting point and then when they added the money motivation, they did above and beyond. Mm-hmm. So whereas women, even with the money motivation, were just like, eh, still feel the pain. Yeah, and, and so they think that there must be some kind of biological explanation for why men and women experience pain differently. And 
research has shown that that is exactly the case. Our different circuits in our our bodies and brains uh, do process pain differently. So want to talk about genes first, Kristen? Yes, Molly, let's talk about genes. Now, going back to childbirth, okay, gynecologists already know that women prefer certain kinds of painkillers to other. Uh, mothers in childbirth, for instance, prefer something called nalbuphene as opposed to morphine. But men, on the other hand... They love the morphine. Men prefer the morphine. It seems to have more of a pain-relieving effect on them than the nalbuphene. And they think that this has to do with pain opioid receptors, which dull pain in the brain. Right. Each of those drugs binds to different receptors. In the women, that nalbuphene acts on kappa receptors, which are far less studied than mu receptors, which is what morphine binds to. And they found that when they give a man a drug that, like norbuphine, nalbuphene, sorry, uh, binds to the kappa receptors, they don't get any pain relief at all. In fact, sometimes they get, they get more pain as a result. So the thing that dampens pain in women's brains doesn't dampen pain in a man's brain. And they've even traced this down to the genetic level. A doctor has actually identified the first gene known to be involved in modulating pain thresholds in women. Because variations in that gene do not do anything to a man's response on pain, whereas if you have a variation of that gene as a woman, you feel more pain, you have a lower pain threshold. And interestingly, this gene is also related to hair and skin color. So we have an article on our site, HowStuffWorks.com, called Do Redheads Need More Anesthesia? And the thinking is, yes, because they have such a variation of this gene, they have a much lower pain threshold. Mm -hmm. So we have something on the on the genetic, on the neurological level, things that are already happening differently um, in our brains to process pain. Right. And to relieve pain. Now, let's say I stub my elbow on a on a table and a male steps the elbow on the table. Scientists have figured out that just different areas of our brain are lighting up at the very first sign of pain. Forget the painkiller part, but just when we both feel that pain, the man is going to feel something in his analytic or cognitive centers, whereas when I feel that pain, my emotion-based limbic regions light up. Oh, emotions. Oh, emotions. And this is based on a UCLA study um, that was that tracked the PET scans, PET brain scans of patients during mild pain stimuli. And it was the study pool was pretty small. It was only 26 women and 24 men who were experiencing irritable bowel syndrome. But nevertheless, this is the largest study to date of its kind. Now, what they did was they found, when they found out that the different areas of the brain lit up, they went back to evolution, which I can't say I totally agree with. Evolutionary biology is tricky. <laughs> it is tricky. So they're saying that the reason that a man's um, cognitive centers are going to light up is because the early male role was defending the homestead. So in response to stress or pain, he's going to be very quickly analyzing his fight or flight, you know, options. Mm-hmm. He's got to say, how am I going to protect my homestead? I'm not going to think about this pain in an emotional way, whereas that's what they say the women are doing because they've got to protect not necessarily the homestead, but their child. So they have this very emotional reaction to, oh, I must protect this child. Yeah, the more the more nurturing response. And so I say that evolutionary biology can be tricky because it does always seem to go back to this like idea that, you know, men are hunters and gatherers. Women are just here to produce children and take care of the home. 
Which does get tiresome at times. It I'm does not get tiresome, lie. but I guess knowing that is a really good way to cope with it because um, there was this study recently about how swearing can relieve pain, mm-hmm. and they found that swearing relieves pain uh, more efficiently in women than in men because when you swear, it's your limbic region. So um, by letting loose like that quick emotional outburst of pain, um, they they alleviated the pain more quickly. Now, men swear all the time, according to these researchers, so they've kind of dulled that reaction. Mm-hmm. But by, you know, a quick emotional response to pain, like you feel it in your emotional part of your brain and then you have a very quick emotional response to it. It helps you get over it better. But apparently what we're really going to need to come to, in addition to painkillers, are better ways to cope with pain. Now, when it comes to dealing with uh, more chronic pain like osteoarthritis, doctors have found that that limbic response, more emotionally charged response that women have to pain can be helpful for men because in comparing the the ways that women and men process uh, the osteoarthritis pain, they found that women who were able to to talk about the pain, to journal it out, to you know, express it to other people, dealt with it better than men who were more likely to just kind of bottle it up, I guess. Yeah, in that study, they showed that the only people who knew that the men were in pain were their wives. Mm-hmm. So, And it wasn't because they said, hey, honey, I'm in pain. It's because they knew enough about the man to say, oh, he's in pain. Yeah, they were able to see their behavioral cues. So it's almost like by talking about it more, you do better by having that very emotional, talky response, which, again... It's not, I don't know, it's not like you want a friend who's always talking about how in pain she is. Oh, my back. Molly, my back hurts again. <laughs> but maybe by talking about it over and over to a friend, you might have a friend who eventually says, hey, go to the doctor. Yeah, because it could be a case in a lot of these studies where women are experiencing chronic pain, but they're just kind of dealing with it and trying to work through it, but they're not going to the doctor, which is where it becomes really problematic. But going back to that UCLA study, the lead researcher made emphasize the fact that even though men and women do seem to have this ingrained difference in in pain response they are complementary mm-hmm. you know it, it's not it doesn't necessarily mean that the fact that our limbic system is lighting up while men's cognitive systems are lighting up is is necessarily more advantageous than the other it's supposed to work together which makes sense because you want a healthy species overall mm-hmm. But, you know, you you mentioned earlier the study where there were no differences between men and women's pain in a really chronic condition like cancer. Well, extreme pain. Extreme specifically. pain. But they were saying the reason why it all comes down again to how you cope with the pain, because what they do is they divided these people into groups of how well they dealt with the pain, whether they were people who were just, you know, living with it and feeling miserable and then people who were living with it and just charging forward with their life and not letting the pain hamper them. Mm-hmm. And it all is out to the emotional networks they had around them. If they felt supported, if they felt like they had people they could talk to. Um, so again, it's, it's more about talking about pain and finding a way to deal with it as opposed to just living with it and feeling miserable for no reason. So even though it might seem like an uncomfortable proposition to say that men and women do experience pain differently on a very biological level, it's going to benefit us if doctors do look more into this because they can develop painkillers that will dull our pain better. And also some people are advocating for um, gender specific scales of pain. So if you go into, if you're a woman who goes in and sees a male doctor and he says on a scale of one to 10, what's your pain? 
um, if she says like a six, he should be able to judge what that is on sort of a female spectrum as opposed to what a six would be for a male. Yeah, because this reminds me too of uh, something that came up when we were talking about antidepressants one time about how they've been trying to broaden clinical trials with antidepressants to include more women because they used to just exclude us because they would say, oh, well, their hormones are going to mess with everything. But they're thinking that estrogen levels are very correlated to the way we feel pain. So, you know, we obviously need to have, you know, more women involved um, in all of these medical developments. And I'm glad you brought up estrogen, Kristen, because that was one thing we skipped over before we talked about coping was maybe the role hormones play in how we perceive pain. And uh, one of the largest groups of people who complain of pain uh, is women over the age of 45. And they are more likely to complain of low back pain, migraines, and joint pain, including arthritis. And the thinking is, is that these women might be menopausal and with the loss of estrogen, that's why they might feel the pain. It may just be age. Maybe you just get, have more pain as you age. But some researchers have theorized that estrogen is pro- protective and that when estrogen levels are high, the brain's natural painkiller system responds more potently when a painful experience occurs. And when it's low, low painkiller response. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the thing about all of this, we should have said this up front, is that my pain is probably different than your pain. Pain is so subjective that it's really hard for us to to make some sort of analytic argument out of all of this. But it is interesting to note that in our brains, there are different ways that different circuits for the way things, things happen. But Molly, I, I do think it's interesting to answer our, our readers question. Do men and women feel pain differently? The answer is yes. 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 And if you want to up that pain tolerance, have a baby. <laughs> Yeah. That's not the takeaway. I'm just no, joking. No, Jokes. Jokes. <laughs> um, Before we get a flood of angry listener mail. <laughs> a finger pain tolerance is not a good reason to have a child. <laughs> Babies are not painkillers. <laughs> oh, there's so many directions that could go, but that's a topic for another podcast. Before we get into that, Kristen, should we answer some listener mail? Yes, we should. Okay, so our first listener email is from Kristen, who wrote about the episode, Why Are Women So Attracted to Vampires? And she had a problem with some of our character descriptions. Um, And as we said, we're not really vampire experts, but she thinks we really missed the mark by only looking at feminist perspectives. She writes, first, and I'd like to point out that I'm not a crazy Twilight fan. Bella Swan isn't as vacuous a character as you made her out to be. In fact, she comes from a long line of female protagonists who feel lost and lonely and are essentially outsiders who somehow manage to find themselves in extraordinary circumstances. When I read the books, I was struck with the similarities between Bella and some of these other characters, most notably Meg Murray from A Wrinkle in Time. Just as Meg is told to embrace and use her faults, Bella too eventually finds that her own deficiency is exactly what is needed to save her loved ones. In a very large part, I feel that the attraction of these books is less about the vampires than about the fact that Bella really is sort of an every girl that most of us can identify with, having been her at some point or another and having longed for something, anything, to come along and make us feel special. Thank you, Kristen. That's Kristen with a K, not Kristen with a C like you. Yeah, I did an email momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com with my opinion on Twilight. Um, but we do have Zoe who did email, email us about her opinion on Twilight. She says, I'm in grade 10. A large group of my friends are absolutely crazy about the Twilight books. And personally, I'm not quite a fan. Uh, but they could be... They would be more entertaining if they were better written. She says, after you get past the 200 pages of how utterly divine and godlike Edward is and how much Bella swoons at the thought of his chiseled cheekbones and glittery six-pack, the plot is actually quite entertaining and cute to read. 
hadn't really thought about it before, but Edward is really a creepy sort of boyfriend, very possessive. I don't know about you guys, but the whole watching you while you sleep business isn't really something I've ever wanted to deal with, especially if it's by someone who has broken into your house and likes how inviting you smell. Very good point, Zoe. <laughs> Creepy indeed. Um, she says she refuses to read the last book no matter how many times her friends try to force her to. And she doesn't really care for getting into Bella's over-obsessive mind again, regardless of what Stephanie Meyer is trying, what, regardless of whether Stephanie Meyer is trying to make her relatable, her passiveness really bothers me. I would much rather a heroine who isn't very much like me and has opinions and quirks and faults rather than a ragdoll character who doesn't do anything for herself. All right, so there's our two opinions on Bella Swan, the pro and the con camp. What yes. do you guys think? Email us. Yes. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com. And if you want to check out our blog during the week, it's called How To Stuff. And if you want to check out that article that Molly mentioned earlier in the podcast, our Do Redheads Need More Anesthesia, I believe is the title, you can find it at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today.